Hello everyone, welcome to the Back to Geekery in general, and I am Al, and uh, it's been a while because, as I mentioned in my last podcast, been on a bit of, hi- of a hiatus, been trying to get some uh, writing and some other stuff done, so uh, hopefully we'll get back to a more regular schedule. Now, to join me for this episode, I uh, have a friend of mine, Tom, and I keep always forgetting how to pronounce your last name. <laughs> oh, it's just Slice. Slice. Like pizza okay. Slice, yeah. Yeah, and you know, when looking at the way you spell it, it's like I would, well, uh, listen, I would never it's guess. The way, it's not the way I it's, My family yeah. spells it. It wasn't my <laughs> choice. Okay, so Tom Slice, and if you've... Uh, actually, if you do have a copy of Strange Things Afoot, you might actually, and if you read the credits at the beginning, you might actually recognize Tom's name because he is one of the artists that did some work for me. And not only that, he was also one of the playtesters. And if you go really far back in my product line, if you look back at, back at my Mads role-playing game, he's actually was one of the people that helped me with some testing for there. So, yeah, anyway. I still got those books, actually. Cool. I didn't Somewhere. know you had... Yeah, you I, gave me some copies. Okay, because, yeah, I don't remember if I ever gave you a copy of Mads or not, but I know it's one of those products where I, I've released a few supplements for it, but it's just I've been so busy with other stuff, I have I don't get a chance to go back and work on some of my older stuff recently. So how are you doing today, Tom? Uh, Doing fine. It's the weekend. Sa- uh, Sunday. It's not Saturday. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't done much all day, but that's okay. Yep, so hopefully uh, staying safe from COVID. Yeah, try to. Have you uh, had a chance to do any online gaming, or have you not had a chance to... Because we were actually playing a game of 5th edition D&D at our local hobby store earlier this year. Uh, My son, he became interested in Dungeons & Dragons, and after playing a few games of it... Uh, with his friends at school, he decided he wanted to try to run his own campaign. So uh, we were working on the uh, classic Keep on the Borderlands, and uh, we were we did a few sessions of that. Then unfortunately, the whole COVID thing struck, and you know that kind of was put on hold. So not sure if we'll get that going again. And of course, as gamers, we're going to find ways to adapt to new technology. And I've tried doing a little bit of online gaming. Uh, what about you? Have you had a chance to do any online gaming through, like, Skype or Roll20 uh, or anything like that? Uh, not Dungeons & Dragons or, like, tabletop games uh, like that, like role-playing games. I just, um, I find it hard to focus. Like, normally I find it hard to focus on things in general, but then just, I don't know, staring at the screen and it's just less tactile, I guess. I know... I have plenty of friends that have done that, done it reg- like do it regularly, but I just don't know. I don't know. I haven't tried it, but uh, I don't know if I could really get into it. One thing I have played online uh, through um, there's a game on Steam called uh, Tabletop Simulator, which is just sort of an open platform meant to really emulate any board game or anything that you wish to put into it. And I've played uh, Magic: The Gathering through that, and it works pretty well. Yeah, online gaming through Skype or through uh, Roll20, it's definitely a whole different animal than the tabletop. I mean, I I agree with you. Given a choice, I'd rather have that tactile experience of sitting around a table with a bunch of people with, you know, the miniatures and um, 
you know, and all that. But unfortunately, yeah, just with the current state of things, it's just not, not yeah, it's not tenable. I just um yeah, I need miniatures like uh our mutual friend uh Dylan. I played with him a long time ago, and he was completely like in the mind. There was no miniatures at all, and I found that extremely difficult to keep track of where I was and what was going on. And it definitely, it's a different experience, and miniatures kind of gamify Dungeons and Dragons to some people, and I can understand why people like to do it like completely mentally, but it's also a lot more difficult. When, so if you have problems focusing like I do. Yeah, that's one thing about Dungeons and Dragons and just role-playing games in general. I mean, I know there is something to be said for the mind's eye approach, but I, yeah, I, I agree. I like having the miniatures. I like being able to see, you know, where everything is. And I mean, some of the people I gamed, I've gamed with over the years, they get real elaborate. A good friend of mine, uh, Dan, who does the Radio Free Borderlands podcast, he's a big fan of, uh, what was it called? Dwarven Forge. You know, they make like the mazes and stuff that I don't know if you've ever seen them. It's like the modular mazes where uh, you can connect them together to create, you know, hallways and rooms and stuff. Takes a bit longer to set up, but it, but they look cool. Uh, and then I know there's also some other people uh, in the local gaming community who are really big into like the scenery. So I don't know if you ever had a chance to oh, do yeah. that. I mean, that's something I've wanted to, but like, yeah, there's just some incredibly elaborate and beautiful scenery and stuff. I don't know. They're, they're like, when I, I used to run a D&D campaign for a bit, and um, I always had thoughts of like, oh, if they ever get to the, the final boss, then I'll buy this big elaborate scene uh, set and look really cool and stuff. But uh, never went that far. So quick question before we begin with the actual topic we're going to be talking about is what would you say is probably... Whenever, since you also you like doing miniatures and having that tactile aspect of gaming, what would you say is probably the most unusual thing you've ever used for an enemy? I've got like a big bag of uh, of My Little Pony miniatures. <laughs> I've used them for goblins before, just because okay. there's so many of them and they're about the right scale. I thought you were gonna say like you used like a My Little Pony as like a dragon or some big bad boss character. Oh no, these are um. The blind bag scale is what they're known as. They're rather small. Okay. Yeah, because uh, probably the most unusual thing I've ever used is a miniature substitute. I had one campaign I was running at our local game store with, a, and the, the Tarask was the final encounter. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really have anything that I felt, you know, would adequately represent it. So I used, uh, for any older people out there, if you're familiar with the Transformers toy line, uh, I used a Grimlock figure from genera- the Generation 2 toy line, so it was interesting. It was about the best I had, but I-, I know nowadays they have miniatures for just about anything you could possibly want. Oh, yeah. Even um, Magic the Gathering crossover miniatures now. Uh, friends and I tried to play from the first Magic the Gathering sourcebook they made, and um, uh, the world wasn't fully realized, and it was kind of hard to... Um, get a campaign going and stuff, but it was still fun to mess around with just because we we're all fans of Magic the Gathering. Yeah, and I used to play Magic uh, way, way back when. It's just my problem is, the problem I had when I was playing it is the people I had to play against were usually, well, okay, 
a couple of them were the people that had been playing Magic since the beginning. So I first was introduced to Magic the Gathering in like 94, you know, late 94, uh, yeah. just to put a timestamp on that. So I remember this one guy I played with, he was one of those guys that like would play in tournaments and usually did really well. I don't know how many he actually won, but he, you know, he, it's like every power card that, you know, modern Magic players only dream about, he had probably had three copies of it. Yeah. So, you know, it was difficult to play against him because he was good. And just with the cards he had, it's like, okay, I'd be like, I play this card. And he'd be like, okay, I play this card, this card, and this card. And since I have this card in play and you have that card in play, the damage becomes unblockable. And since it's the third Wednesday of the month, the damage is tripled. So, oh, wait, you're dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The early sets of Magic had some really bad balancing issues, especially compared to, like, the first couple sets that came out and then, like, the next two or three years were they were trying to overcorrect their mistake by making much, much weaker sets, which just meant that new players getting into the game had much, much weaker cards than the established players. That is true. And uh, the other type of people I had to play against were the ones who would spend like 50 to to $100 a month getting new Magic cards. And it's like, I don't have that kind of money anymore. So, yeah. I mean, a lot of the kids in my son's Boy Scout troop play Magic, so... We have a small collection of magic cards because occasionally we'll play against them, but yeah, we I don't I don't really play it actively as anymore. So on today's today's topic, so Tom, as I mentioned before, uh, is an artist. He has done some artwork for me, and not only that, he is also a musician. So I'd say we're going to be talking a little bit about some of Tom's art and his music as well. So why don't we start with the beginning? So how did you first become interested in art? Um, well, I'd say the first real focus I had was in uh, the fourth grade when I'd gotten a Calvin and Hobbes comic book. And it's just, um, it kind of uh, opened up a new world for me in terms of like visual storytelling uh, versus, because I just read, read mostly like a, Garfield are more simple uh, sort of comic strips that were available that were available to me at the time, but then Calvin and Hobbes just filled the world with imagination, and it kind of um, led me to pursue art because I wanted to uh, create worlds like that too. Then um, another important thing, and this might sound kind of silly, is uh, about the same time I'd gotten this uh, brand new comic or this new uh, book series rather called Captain Underpants. <laughs> which um, uh, one important aspect of the first comic or the first book is that the uh, the two main characters are kids who make comic books and they actually the book teaches you exactly how to make a comic book so that had given me the knowledge I needed to start making art. And then did you have any other training or just are you, like outside of taking classes in high school or are you primarily self-taught? I've had some college education, but I didn't get a degree and finish any education I dropped out but uh so I do have some sort of like training and an artistic eye and and yeah I mean having that artistic eye is something that can be uh very helpful whenever you're drawing because you know a lot of times you have to watch out for things like you know proportion and and, and scale uh, especially when you're doing more like scene based artwork 
probably not as tricky if or as critical. It, well, proportion is always critical if you're doing just like fi individual figures. But yeah. um, I mean, I know you've done just seen some of your stuff. You've done scenes where you've got a lot of different people or or uh, things interacting with each other. So yeah, you definitely need that artistic eye there. Yeah, I think um, figure like live figure drawing is incredibly important for anyone who wants to really draw the human body in really any way because it it really shows just how people uh, bend and form and slop around and stuff. I mean, the human body is incredibly difficult to draw, at least for me, even in a cartoony style. Yeah, and it's, I, I mean, I know what you're saying, and uh, even in some of the published work I've seen from other companies, it's like they don't always, sometimes they don't always get it right. Probably the biggest offender I can think of off the top of my head is something like if if you go back to the days of a, of AD and D second edition, they had well they they re-released some of the books that had like the black covers. Some people refer to it as 2.5, but in the player's handbook version of it, I mean some of the pictures there, uh, there was this one of like a a cleric I think, and it, just the the proportions on the arm were just wrong and it's like i mean i know at this time tsr was going through a lot of financial difficulty so they had to pick up a lot of artwork on the cheap but i mean i know if you're drawing surrealistic creatures or even if you are trying to emulate a more cartoony style you probably can get a bit you know get away with uh the proportions a bit more yeah yeah this um it's really fantastic dungeons and dragons uh, history book that goes through like basically everything from like the beginning to um to when the book was printed and um that's like i don't know the name of the artist but a, a pretty prominent early dungeons and dragons artist very clearly traced all of his drawings from comic books and they're um they're up front in the book about it they're like here's the art that we published and here's the original comics that he stole the art from who or what would you say are some of your artistic influences? Uh, so you already mentioned that some of your early stuff that got you interested were comics like Kelvin and Hobbes and Captain Underpants. Are, are there any like artists who've done work for Dungeons and Dragons or any other role-playing game that you find particularly fascinating or that you try to draw inspiration from? And not, of course, don't even have to just limit it to artists that do work for role-playing games you know are there any artists who do other types of work that you uh find influential um i guess it's kind of hard to say specifically what inspires me art-wise because kind of a lot of stuff is just it's just the nature of being an artist is that when you see something you like you absorb it you try to emulate it you put it into your work even if it's just like a small thing, like the way that someone draws a nose that you like, or if it's something much larger, like a whole composition style or line style. And it's, I guess it's hard to say individually, like any artists that, that stick out other than really Bill Watterson, the really early one. Um, I remember also as a kid really loving Shel Silverstein via the poet, his illustrations, just the, um, the black and white, really thick lines, and the uh, cross hatching is something that still sticks in my art today. I think, 
at least the more um, the, the ink based stuff that I do. There, I know the cross stitching that stuff or the yeah the cross no cross hatching yeah. cross hatching yeah cross stitching is something entirely different. Still art. Oh yeah, just a different <laughs> a different type yeah. of art, but. Um, yeah, the cross hatching. I know that's something that can actually really make or break a picture. I think uh, because it it helps add a bit more depth to it. So I know that you've also done a web comic. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the comic that you've done? Yeah, so the uh, the web comic was called uh, Azure's Returning. It was a fantasy comic drawn completely pen and ink on paper, which was a huge pain in the ass because it was like. <laughs> 200 pages almost, so I have a huge stack of um, comic pages now. So what were some of the influences when you were drawing and writing your comic? Like, was there a, what was the, the story you were thinking about? Uh, what were some of the characters in, in the comic? A lot of the story comes from the sort of fantasy I enjoy, where um, I'm not much on for, like, modern, say, like, say modern fantasy books. But I like more sort of obscure media, like uh, web comics, video. Well, I wouldn't call video games obscure, but sort of um, a different kind of fantasy than, say, the the, the traditional sword and sorcery. Just kind of like um, a bit more gritty, a bit more down to earth, and maybe a bit more realistic. Two web comics that I really enjoy that I think uh, inspired Azure's Returning would be. Um, Girl Genius, which is by Phil and Kaja Foglio, uh, two fantastic artists, and that's a bit that's a bit more of a steampunk, but also has some sort of fantasy elements. And there's also um, a great little graphic novel uh, that started as a webcomic called Rice Boy, by uh, Evan Don Don Don, I believe is the name of the artist, and that's just sort of um, this pitiful little creature called Rice Boy, who's kind of forced to go on this really bitter adventure where um, it's just really being hunted down and wanted to be destroyed by this uh, would-be prophet. I think visually, too, I drew a lot of inspiration from the uh, uh, the manga comic Berserk. You've ever heard of that? I've heard of it. I've never, and I know there's an anime of it, but I've, I haven't had a chance to uh, to read the manga, magna or magna. I, I can never manga. pronounce manga. manga, yes. You can just I, call it a comic. Yeah, <laughs> I've never had a chance to read the comic or, uh, I mean, I know some of the stuff's on Netflix, but I haven't had a chance to see it yet. Yeah, well, I would definitely implore you to check out the, at least the art of the manga, because it is incredible, but just that sort of a uh, black and white and patched artwork creatures and stuff. Um, I think if you saw the um the monsters that were in my comic, compared them to the monsters in Berserk, you'd see the sort of inspiration that I'm coming from, sort of like, um, I guess, kind of a cargo cult is what I would describe my art compared to Berserk. So let's talk about the art, some of the artwork you did for Strange Things Afoot. Now, when, so Tom did uh, the, most of the stuff in the, the section on the tulpas, because uh, I, I did like your uh, surrealistic style, and I think that, you know, I thought that would work for the the creatures that I wanted portrayed there. And now, usually whenever I came to you asking you to do a picture, I would give you a description of uh, what I was looking for, but you would sometimes throw in your own uh, ideas in there as well. So when you were working on uh, those pictures, 
what would say what would you say were some of the things that inspired you when you were coming up with some of those designs? Well, basically, I, I took the description that you gave me and kind of built the creature in my head and kind of um, felt them there and felt basically either what I what I felt they lacked from your description or something that I would change uh, from your description. Not that they were bad or anything. It's just sort of um. I just uh, some stuff I visualized differently or thought of what might or might not work. And um, I just kind of built it in my head and then sort of sketched out uh, what I saw and then, you know, discussed it with you, of course. And uh, I thank you for being open with um, accepting like different design changes as well as um, giving me counter changes, too, so that we could uh, get sort of the best creature out there. I don't know, other than just sort of I pictured it and then I had a different idea that I, I thought worked well. Um, that's about it. Yeah, and I'd have to say probably, like just as a good example of one that turned out a lot different than what I originally envisioned it as, and I think it worked actually better for it, uh, When I the first one that I had you do, uh, Tentacle Head, where I had just more of this general, like, ugly looking humanoid type appearance to it um where and then you know you had your own ideas where you said okay instead of making him look you know just kind of like a standard ugly person make him look kind of like he's made out of tentacles so uh i i really i really like the design that you ended up coming up with for for that particular character yeah uh well tentacle head in particular um one thing when I'm drawing like, sort of monstrous creatures, the most fun I have is with drawing like gnashing, writhing tentacles. Uh, so it was pretty much a cinch to just sort of um, take like a human form and just draw that is nothing but tentacles. So that was a really fun uh, thing to draw and really came really naturally. Speaking of tentacle type creatures, another one that I liked that you did, uh, Gurang, which this one actually did not didn't start out as one that I had asked you to do. Uh, this is one that I know that you had did sometime previously. Though in the original version, there was like a person fighting him, or there was a person in it. Oh yeah, yeah. So this one is just like a big writhing mass of mouths and eyes and tentacles, and I really like that one. And you also had a real, you, you, we were talking about the cross hatching before, and you actually have some nice cross hatching in that one. I mean, really, it reminds me of some of Errol Otis's early works. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He did a lot of, uh, he did a lot of work in the early D&D products. Oh, okay. Errol Otis. Yeah. And that's exactly the artist I was thinking of when you mentioned him. Definitely do love his artwork. I know there's just something about that old that old school art style that you know that I always really like. Before, yeah, I guess when there when there wasn't really art direction in terms of in product cohesiveness, it's just kind of leads to some very interesting and memorable art styles that you just don't get anymore. Because uh, I mean, I'm not sure how they do it nowadays if they just contract an artist to do an entire book, you know, so that you have that uniform art style, but. Uh, I mean, I know in a lot of the, I don't know if you've ever seen the first original first edition player's handbook. I've definitely looked through at least the monster manual just to see the illustrations but, in the early original supplements, but yeah. 
Yeah, because in the original book, it's like there's some stuff in there. It's like quality-wise, it looked like something you would doodle in your math book because you were bored during class. Which, you know, it's not... I mean, so, okay, maybe it's technically not as good as a lot of the stuff we've seen, but it had a certain charm to it, you know? Yeah. It's a necessary stepping stone. So another one of the characters that you drew, which I I really like how it turned out, and that was the Grubber, which he's supposed to be the embodiment of greed, and his uh, what his distinguishing characteristics are, he's got an almost childlike face with a, a huge grin on it, and then his arms at below the elbow they branch off into three separate arms so that one i thought you did a really really good job on that one as well well that was a interesting part of your original description that i really liked was the uh the branching arms i never really have drawn like multiple hands or arms like that where they sort of uh branch at the elbow it was always just you know multiple from from the top or so so that was interesting and actually really fun to draw I think um, I originally sketched just like a, a four arms, and then you told me, no, it's six. Oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> More interesting. But, uh, that one, I like a lot of... I'm looking, I, I pulled up the drawing now, and there's a lot I like about it. I just The teeth bothered me since I drew them, and um, it's one of those things where this was drawn in ink, so once they were finished, that's just the way they looked, and there wasn't really anything I could do about that. I don't think they're terrible, but... Never a huge fan of those two. The face, I think, really is uh, really what sells it as well because the well, also with the 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 arms and the hands because I know hands are a pain in the butt to draw. There's some times when I draw hands perfectly; they're incredibly easy, and sometimes they're incredibly difficult. I think genuinely, I don't have nearly as much trouble with hands as a lot of people. What I find really difficult are feet. Yeah, feet too. Uh, I know that's another one that can be difficult, uh, especially bare feet. Yeah, um, a lot of a lot of these uh, figures were barefoot. That made <laughs> things a little difficult. Yeah. So, what was your design process, or what were you thinking when you were doing the face? Because again, that pretty much captured uh, uh, just about the perfect look that I was looking for for this particular character. I don't know. Uh, it's just something that's sort of. Um came natural to me kind of um like that sort of kind of a creepy design it's um it's just sort of a it's sort of a simple design that works of like a big smiling face with small beady eyes just tends to be rather creepy yeah and that's what the thing was supposed to do it's supposed to be unsettling but not quite unsettling enough where you were, it's going to scare you away. It should still have somewhat of a childlike innocence behind it. And another one that I, I really like how it turned out, Mr. Cuddles, who's supposed to be the embodiment of deceit. And originally I was thinking that making it more like a teddy bear, but you decided to go with more making it like a stuffed rabbit. I felt the teddy bear was um kind of a bit of an old school uh, sort of choice. And I wanted more of them. Um rabbits because i think stuffed rabbit is a little creepier uh just the extra ears to just give it a bit more height make it a bit more menacing if you're thinking of a uh, a stuffed animal one thing that was uh really fun too is i kind of wanted it to make it make the drawing feel like it was um like an actual stuffed animal that has been possessed not say a, um, an entity that chose its form um so if you like look really close at say the mouth 
that you can see the the stitching of the stuffed animal ripping apart as the the, the giant mouth is forming oh, through. Yeah. Say so the uh, the eyes are sort of bursting through, like the stuffed animal part itself. Yeah, I just noticed that with the how it looks like it's tearing it apart, but it's the eyes that do it for me because you can just kind of look at it and it's like okay, something's not right with that creature. That that thing wants to kill you. Yeah, but not like in a sort of over the top, like massively like furrowed eyebrows kind of way. I just kind of wanted to make make it seem unsettling, more so than like outward outwardly malicious looking. Mm-hmm. Now. From what I understand, you said that you're not going to be doing your, your webcomic anymore. So what are some of your current artistic endeavors, and do you think it's possible you might do another uh, webcomic in the future? Uh, that's sort of my whole plan, uh, really, was when I started Azure's Returning, is that I knew it would be a learning experience, and um, I knew there would be a lot of stumbles along the way. I knew there would be a lot of mistakes, and there definitely were, because I knew that I'd do that for a while and then eventually take the experiences that I learned from that, uh, make a new webcomic uh, with knowing more what my strengths and weaknesses were. And so I'd, that's something that I've definitely been working on for a while, or at least I've been thinking about it. I guess I haven't put anything to paper yet, but it's just sort of um, my writing process is really foolish because I don't really write anything down until I need to. It just sort of... um is always sort of forming in my head. So, I mean, I've walked through, uh, like, my next comic. Um, I've been sort of forming it in my head uh, when I'm at work, really, I think about it. So let's talk a little bit about your music. So first, how would you describe your uh, style of music? Some of the words I use would be experimental, uh, ambient, uh, droning. I don't really know if there's a genre that I would classify my music as because it's just kind of um i make sounds that sound interesting to me and then i layer them on top of each other then it kind of forms music (laughs) yeah and that's really with the i always well at least for the stuff that i have uh when i put it into itunes i classify it more as generally as ambient because i one of the things i like about uh your music is i i actually like writing to it uh, there were some of your stuff that I would listen to while writing Strange Things Afoot, actually. <laughs> so, who are some of your musical influences? Um, well, it's there's a lot of musicians I really love, but um, it's kind of hard to say musical influences because I don't, I don't really know how to make music. Like, I can't read notes. I can, I just kind of play by ear and kind of do the best I can. Like, uh, my favorite band of all time is Pink Floyd. And um, you might notice some sort of Floydian influences in my music, but it's really incredibly far from what Floyd sounds like. Um, another, what I'd say is a much more um, noticeable influence would be the uh, the online genre called a uh, vaporwave, which is more of um, sort of kind of creating a a false nostalgia of '80s music by making it much more droning, much more ambient, sort of about sampling strange loops, making music that way. Yeah, I've never heard of that genre vaporwave before. I've, I mean, I've seen the word, but I never heard what it, I, I never knew what it actually meant. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, it started out as sort of a underground music 
uh, thing, and then it just sort of became an aesthetic style too, and then it's grown to be a bit more mainstream these days. Like I was pretty early into Vaporwave, but I haven't really listened to any new stuff in a long time. I'm the same way. It's like I, I mean, I did have some musical training back in high, like middle school, elementary school. I, I used to play cello, and I did. Uh, play bass guitar in a metal band when I was in college, though unfortunately we never had a chance to get any gigs. We did record some stuff, but we never had a chance to actually release it. And, you know, I can read tablature, but when I do keyboards, it's for me it's pretty much just improv- improvisation. Yeah, I can't read a single note. Hans Zimmer can't read music. Really? I didn't know that. He plays it uh, by ear and then has aides who transcribe it into notes. Of course, if you can read music, that's certainly helpful, but I mean, I, as long as you've got an idea like, okay, you kind of know what what sounds sound good together and what sounds sound bad together, you know, that I think that can help a, a lot as well. And Yeah, that's now, sort of a art, artistic uh, ear versus, say, like technical, technical skills, yeah. yeah. So when you record, and I, I know you mentioned to me before that you just basically hook up a keyboard to your computer and you record through Audacity? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I use. So do you record, when you record, does it come through as MIDI or do you, are you recording the actual sounds from the well, keyboard? Just recording the sounds from the keyboard. My computer, or my keyboards are um, much older and uh, don't generally have MIDI. Just old keyboards from the 80s that I've thrifted. <laughs> So go to the go to the thrift store, go to Goodwill, and see if they have any keyboards for sale. <laughs> yeah, except um, people have really kind of turned around on the whole collecting keyboards things now, and that's sort of a a whole subgenre on the internet. So now people know to um sweep through Goodwill and get all the good keyboards. So there's not as many around now as there used to be, but you can still find an SK1 these days, at least hopefully, because that's really all you need. So I am going to include some links in the show notes uh, where if you want to find Tom's music on Bandcamp, because uh, I know you've you've released some stuff under your name, and then you've also released uh, your latest album under a different name, Six Blue Roses. Yeah, yeah, it started a new label, I guess you'd count it, just an artist's name to um for my next music, yeah. So if someone wanted to check out some of your music, which album would you recommend they start with? Uh, Really my newest album just because um the way that i view my art is uh, it's always the latest thing i like more because um i have trouble like looking at art even from say a month ago sometimes even a week ago and it just um it always looks bad to me it looks worse i don't know so i just always recommend people to check out my latest stuff because that just feels most complete and the best to me so i'm um, definitely check out the Oh yeah, lifestyle's familiar. Sixblueroses.bandcamp.com. Do you think it's maybe because you've evolved as a musician, which some of your early stuff maybe you look back at it and you think, okay, I could have did that a little better. So you yeah, probably want to. Yeah, there's one, like one early work, earlier work of mine that I actually still really like, is a uh, EP I did called um the uh the vision of dark passion. It's that's like much more since it was just an EP I wanted to be even more experimental experimental than usual so it was much more ambient than even my other stuff was so that that's something that really just kind of stays timeless 
that's another one of the ones that I actually like listen to when I write. Uh, the first song on it, uh, Shadows Moving Softly Through the Darkness, I think. Cause, and I've noticed this about a couple of your other songs. Is uh, Sometimes there's like voices and stuff in the background, and there's little textures I don't always pick up. If I listen to it on speakers, I sometimes have to put on like uh, headphones in order to catch some of the smaller details. So with the songs that you've released so far, uh, are there any that you're really happy with? Well, going back to the uh, the, the, the latest album, what's the name of that one again? Good Lord. Realms of the Unreal. Oh, oh, well, that's the that's the name of the song. The that song, I would yeah. Probably recommend you. Yeah. Um, I also, since I don't have any lyrics, all the names of my songs are just sort of um, the mood that they were trying to um, establish or how I was feeling at that the particular time that I decided to name them. So it's kind of hard to remember what each song is <laughs> because what the hell is the bridge? All right, that's the one where it's just sort of a twangy sort of a synth noise. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Realms of the Unreal is probably like the standout best song on the entire album. It's just um, it's sort of a it has an ethereal, uh, heavenly kind of sound that I came by completely by accident. The background noise throughout the entire song was just me pressing down a bunch of keys on the keyboard and made this weird looping noise that like went through like different notes. And I just recorded that for like a couple minutes and then put some instruments throughout that. And then it just kind of made a really good track somehow. And that's sort of how I approach all my music. That's what I like about it. It has that almost like, as you put it, ethereal, almost dreamlike quality to it. Uh, City on the Hill is another one I really like because it has, I don't know why, it just has a very uplifting, kind of happy sound to it. Yeah. Um, well, one thing about the album that it's kind of a concept is it's sort of about the the concept of life and death. Like there's a lot of uh, references to the afterlife, at least in the song titles city on a hill is um if you're unfamiliar is that's uh heaven is sometimes referred to as city on a hill uh false paradise is supposed to be like hell so it's it just sort of um is meant to be wailing souls uh eternally damned hmm. and sort then of a re- repeating their last thoughts in life then Except, river uh, oh, sorry no go <laughs> one ahead, last sorry. thing about false paradise is that it's entirely made out of um uh samples from terrible voice acting in bad video games <laughs> now uh river's passage since you said that the there's supposed to be this theme of like life and death is that supposed to represent like the like the crossing the river sticks or something like that yeah exactly it can be fun trying to express ideas and tell stories without words i'd have to say i think one of my favorite ones uh cloud tales now is there any specific story behind that album uh yes actually um i think i've told you this before uh just not in obviously in a uh podcast not in podcast form yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh i see that's probably why you're asking um (laughs) well i think i don't remember i remember you said there was some story behind it but i i don't remember what it was so basically i was just um going through a very massive depressive moment uh, it was a very depressive time uh, in my life because i had a uh, a roommate of mine who um 
was like one of my best friends, but then as, as time went on, um, he just, we just sort of lost connection. And then he eventually became more and more passive aggressive and alcoholic. And that actually led to, um, actual aggressiveness where he, um, assaulted me. And then Ooh. I had to, um, yeah, we had to, I left after that and, uh, moved back in with my parents. So I was in sort of a really dark place feeling wise. So um, I made an album that was very different from any music I've made before and any music since, and that it's very sort of upbeat and very happy because um, I just didn't want to put any more misery into the world. I wanted to put something happy into the world. So okay. that's why I made that album. Um, I had a, <laughs> a friend approached me like after. He's like, oh, I love this album, but like, are you ever going to get back to darker stuff? Like, <laughs> just give me some time. Yeah, I remember you mentioning the part about being in a dark place and you just wanted to do something happy, but I, you never told me the part about the uh, the roommate yeah, issues. I figured that would at least um, be interesting on a podcast to sort of be upfront about that. But yeah, it was not a good moment or a good time, but uh, I'm in a much better place now. That's good. So of the songs you've done, are there any that you would maybe think about redoing somewhere in the past? Maybe you've listened to it a few times and you thought, you know, maybe I could have did a little bit better on that one. Or maybe I'd like to try something different. Uh, any songs that we maybe someday can look forward to seeing like, a, you know, a, a remix of? Um, I don't know about that, just because um the process that I use to make music, I mean, it's... um. I've tried to even like try and imitate other songs that I like, or at least try to emulate them. And it sounds, it always sounds, you know, not even my own songs, but uh, other songs. And it sounds completely different. But um, it's just the, the process of me trying to remake a song would end up me making an entirely different song, which isn't, you know, a bad thing at all. But uh, I don't know. I just like, um, I also like old art to stand the way it is. And, um, I don't feel it's it's too necessary to um come back to it unless um I want to show growth by sort of uh redoing something. But uh, I don't think I could do that with my music because I'm just not able to. When you are getting ready to cre be creative, whether you're going to be doing uh, making a new song, making a new piece of art, what do you do to get in the mood? Is there anything that helps you get inspired and and really get those creative juices flowing? Um, I think one thing that's important is just to get in the habit of um, creating, I wouldn't say constantly, but um, consistently. You want to do something, a little something every day, as, as much as you can get away with. Or um, Because uh, if you keep that habit going, then it's not really sort of, um, you don't have to force yourself. You kind of have to take yourself away from art. But not in, um, not in sort of a way where you want to bring yourself out by working too hard but really um i would just say force yourself to just a little bit every day and build up a um build yourself up that way well that's all i've got for the questions so i'd like to thank you for uh joining me tom and i said i will include some links so if you want to check out uh tom's music on Bandcamp, or if you want to check out his uh his web comic that he did i'll leave that information for you so with that said i'd like to thank you all for tuning in Thanks again for joining me, Tom, and have a wonderful day, everyone. You have been listening to a production of the Eclectic Media Project. Please check us out on the web at www.eclecticmediaproject.com 
and on Podbean and iTunes. Find Scott and Chad on Twitter as well, at EMP underscore Scott and at Chad EMP. We are on Facebook at Eclectic Media Project. Visit our publishing arm at www.poigamestudio and follow them on Twitter at POIGamestudio. Thank you and we look forward to bringing you more thought-provoking and enjoyable content.